Probably my biggest claim to fame is that I'm a Limaite. To, to the best of my knowledge, I am the first Limaite to ever come here as a student and uh, grew up about two miles from here never knowing Elam existed uh, because we weren't from an evangelical family. And, and then, the, as far as I know, the first on the leadership of Elam Fellowship from Lima and then, and then here. I guess the only other uh, significant thing was that I built this platform. Uh, when we graduated, they were just starting to build this building and they needed peons to start working. They handed me a circular saw and they said, start cutting plywood to uh, make this thing. So I, apparently it's held up. Um, sometimes God has to get through to us by coming in the back door because we can almost, we can be, come to know some scriptures and biblical principles so well we almost become numb to them. Uh, like that stop sign that you just sort of got so used to cruising through without really stopping. Like happened to me a few months ago up here coming out of York Street onto 5 and 20 and I don't know, I normally stop a stop. There was something about that one and uh, I, I came through and it so happened the next car coming from the east was a New York State Trooper and pulled me over and he said, uh, do you know why I stopped you? I said, I really don't, I didn't. I'd become numb to that stop sign. And he said, well you just, he said, I'm normally pretty lenient on full stops, but you just, you just rolled right on through. I said, I did? He said, when was the last time you've had a moving vehicle violation? I said, I, I can't even remember. He said, well, that's, that's good. Let's keep it that way. Stop at stop signs. <laughs> I'll tell you what, gray hair has its advantages. If that had been you, he would have gotten a ticket. <laughs> but <clears throat> as I say, so God had, to, or, or the police had to come in sort of through the back. Oh, I'll tell you, I stop at all stop signs now. And... Uh, so, as uh, was mentioned, we were in Argentina for five years. In those years, you didn't come back on a furlough every year or every other year. It was five years straight. I, I remember when we did come back, we came in through immigration in Miami, and there was this uh, really big official there at immigration, and we came through, and he's asking the routine questions. How long have you been out of the United States? I said, five years. He looked, he says, five years. Gave me a hug and he says, welcome back, bro. bro. And uh, I, I didn't see him do that to anyone else. But really, my ministry was developed in Latin America, in, in Argentina, uh, not here in the United States. And uh, during the ministry that we were involved in had been birthed and one of the greatest revival movements uh, in the 20th century in Argentina. I don't know if any of you have ever read anything about that, that move. And uh, <clears throat> so 
we were in worship services like I have not seen anywhere else in my life. I've ministered, I think, in 21 countries. I've seen some wonderful expressions of worship, but nothing like I saw in Argentina. And you think, well, well, you know, those people are probably just more emotional. No, Argentina, forget whatever you know about uh, other, say, countries in Latin America. It's, picture a European country. It's like a Spanish-speaking United States, really, or a European country, like France or England. Their descendants are German, Polish, Yugoslavian, Russian, Dutch, British, Swiss. It's, it's a melting pot. So the culture is, is very European. So it was not emotionalism. It was, it was a move of the Holy Spirit as a result of revival. And uh, in our services, it was very often the, the worship could go on for well over an hour or more, no one looking at their watches, uh, usually with people on the floor during uh, spontaneously broken before the Lord, we would move off the platform and just minister to people. There were demonstrations of the gifts of the Spirit regularly. And in time, I was training new worship leaders on how not so much the music, but being prompted and led by the Holy Spirit as it varied throughout uh, the service. It was a tremendous time. And just before our five years uh, came up, it wasn't like we went for five years, the Lord indicated to Connie and me it was, it was time to come back. And just before that, I was minding my own business at home when this series of thoughts came to me that I, I thought were just my own. And the first one was... Um, what a privilege it's been in my lifetime to get to know some incredible men and women of God, starting right here during our time as students at Elam. Uh, names that wouldn't mean anything to you now, but uh, Bob Mumford, John Poole, uh, Judson Cornwall, uh, on and on, people with international ministries. And... Uh, I thought, wow, what, what a privilege. How many Christians not only get to hear them, but become personal friends with them? Uh, and I thought, what, what, a, what a wonderful thing that's, that's been that, uh, that I've been able to do that. I mean, tremendous spiritual revelation. I'm just talking about theology. I'm talking about spiritual revelation. And, uh, and then I thought, the next thought was, but what would it have been like to have personally known the Apostle Paul? I mean, this wasn't just a great preacher. This is someone who wrote 13 epistles in the Bible that God used to inspire to write Scripture. Boy, what, what would have that have been like? Caught up into the third heaven, seeing revelations he wasn't even allowed to, to reveal um, and, uh, but beyond that, what would it have been like to have known Jesus, to be one of his disciples and walk with him, uh, who, uh, not only had light, but 
was and is the light. I'm, I'm trying to, I mean, this was, a, I'm, I'm not making this up. This was the series of thoughts that were just building. Not only understood truth, but was the truth. The source of revelation from God, who came from the, the bosom of the Father, the focal point of all that God is. Wow. What would it have been like to have personally been able to walk with him? He left that place to come all the way down to our level to meet us. Uh, let's suppose that uh, my uh, youth pastor, Michael, here, who's uh, from Buffalo area, uh, he and uh, Amanda, and he contacts me and he says, Pastor Harry, I'm, I'm having evangelistic meetings over here in Buffalo this weekend. I left my laptop back in Lyman. I just don't know what to do. I, all my notes are in it. I, I can't get to it. And, uh, and I say, well, being big-hearted, Michael, I'll, I'll meet you in Batavia. If you can get over there, I'll bring it to Batavia. I'll meet you halfway, being very big-hearted and all. And uh, he, he'd probably, well, that, that's just great. Jesus didn't say, I'll meet you halfway. He said, I'm, I want to come the whole way. Back in the, uh, the days of the Jesus people movement, uh, Dr. A's time, uh, there was a New Testament version that probably you haven't seen. It was called Good News for Modern Man. It was, it was a paperback. It was really good, very accurately translated. And I really liked the Spanish title. It was in Spanish, too. And it was called Dios llega al hombre. Hard to translate, but it was God comes to man. In other words, man couldn't come to God. We couldn't even get halfway. That's really a great title. God comes to man. And uh, so, but Jesus didn't even say, I'll go the hallway if they accept my ministry, if they recognize who I really am. But I'll, call, I'll go the whole way, even if I'm rejected, mocked, spit on, and crucified. And as my, uh, my thoughts went on, I thought, yep, that's our Jesus, that's him. The forethought, I realized, wasn't my own, that none of these were. God was leading me into a trap. And he's, the next thought was, then who are you with your little rays of light that there's anyone in my body that you cannot identify with. And I'm very careful about saying God told me this or God said that. You think, some people you think God was a chatterbox. <laughs> in fact, anything God's ever said to me has always been a correction. It's never been you're doing a great job. I, I remember in, in Paraguay, after Argentina, was, the work was very difficult. I was walking down the sidewalk and uh, very discouraged. Nothing was going right. And maybe more unconsciously, I was sort of a complaining to God, why, why did you even send us here? We're, we're just wasting our time. Why don't you send us somewhere where we can accomplish something? And God said to me, do you think I sent you here to fail? 
Now, he wasn't looking for a conversation. It was a rhetorical question. In, in fact, that's why I know Jesus is Jewish. He always speaks to me in questions. Now, if he was a New York Jew, he would say, you think I sent you there to fail? Maybe, you know. <laughs> but it's, it always seems to be that way. And so maybe it already occurred to you through that list of questions or thoughts that I had how it relates to Philippians chapter 2. Many think that Philippians was the only epistle that where Paul wasn't addressing any, any problems. Philippians had some of the biggest problems of any of the churches that, that he had started. Though he writes so lovingly and so graciously, you could almost miss it. You could almost think, well, this is just a Bible study he was giving them. But before going into chapter 2, it begins with an introduction in chapter 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then when I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. So it is possible for Christians to not walk worthy of the gospel. This is, this is what he's saying. Um, my ministry, uh, when I try to get back to, especially Latin America every year, is our pastors, seminars, and conferences. And one of the things I love to say to pastors is, how many of you are as excited as I am that the early church was just ransacked with problems? Have you ever noticed almost any ministry that's announced anymore as, we are so excited. Um, uh, I, I got one the other day from someone that said, we are even more than excited. I thought, well, where is this going? You know, the next one is going to be euphoric. Um, but, you know, pastors look at me like, how no, I want a New Testament church. New Testament churches didn't have any problems. Read First Corinthians lately. Um, ten chapters of their manifest carnality in, in almost every aspect imaginable. No problems. Well, <clears throat> the thing is that the Philippian church had one of the biggest problems of any of them. And it's the hardest one to recognize. So... I'm going to read, I, I think the verses, my, I'm NIV, I think that's a different one, but they're close enough. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being a, in one spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you in the interests of others. He was writing this because they weren't doing it. That's why he's writing this. They weren't practicing this attitude among themselves. And it's not just a matter of within the local church but among Christians in general, between churches, 
in the body of Christ. Paul isn't just writing poetry here. He's addressing the problem of spiritual pride. Spiritual pride is so difficult to recognize because it's spiritual. In Argentina, we were locked into this work for five years that had drifted into spiritual pride. In spite of all the wonderful things that I just told you, what the worship was like, and, and tremendous revelation in, in the ministry of the Word. The attitude had become spiritual pride. We were the, these things weren't said, but an outsider would sure feel them. We were the people of the presence. In other words, we are, but you aren't. You, you aren't moving on the same plateau as we are. In fact, if, if you didn't use the expression, the manifest presence of God in about every third sentence, you must not be following the vision. And, and we had to have more manifestations than any other churches. You have to have a special doctrine that others just don't have the depth that you do. And you would, this is actually called cultishness. And that's not a cult yet, but this is how cults get started. Cultishness. It stinks. And one of the biggest things that happens is outreach stops. A vision for missions stops. And we are the people of the higher vision. And we begin to hear innuendos and little comments, even about other churches and pastors in the same city, of, I'm not even sure if they're really saved. And we don't have to plant churches because we'll just take over other churches because the, the poor dears, they just... They don't have the revelation. So we can justify it in order to bring their people up higher. <laughs> if you think I'm making this up, I'm not. And that's not the only place in the world and the only time in history that this has happened. Um, are any of you from the Deep South and ever heard of the super, main, super, super market chain Piggly Wiggly? Anyone ever heard of that? You don't want to admit it, huh? Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great supermarket chain. But one of the things that's different about them than other well-known supermarket chains, they don't have a school to train their managers for their supermarkets. They don't need to. Because what they do is they let all the other chains uh, graduate their managers, and then when they graduate, Piggly Wiggly just out-hires them and gives them a higher salary. Well, that's how the, the devil operates with a church. He doesn't have to send in demons. He just uses Christians against Christians by appealing to our pride, spiritual pride, and works us against each other and causes division. Consciously, I disagreed with this attitude. 
One of the saving factors, now, I have to say, I, not we, really, because Connie was raised in the ministry in two different uh, other countries under one of the, her father, there was one of the greatest spiritual leaders, I've, <laughs> one of those I had the privilege to know. Uh, and so I don't think God really had to deal with her as much as with me because I didn't get saved till I was 21 reading a Bible alone in an Air Force barracks overseas. So I came to Elam, I was barely saved. But it was really the Elam spirit that was my saving factor. I, we can remember <laughs> as students here that the administration would sometimes have chapel speakers come in that, you know, Bible school students can sometimes be a little critical. Um, we'd look at each other and they'd say, why did they have him come in? I mean, any one of, us, one of our freshmen could have preached better than that. <laughs> but it wasn't by accident. Brother Carlton Spencer, he always had a way of bringing it all together at the end. And without having to say so, we learn to always look for the deposit of God that a person had. I mean, and that, that was repeated. And so this attitude that I, that I just described that we were living in down there is so contrary to the Elam spirit. The Elam spirit is to serve the body of Christ. And so the fact is, that if we really do have more light, and it is possible that we have more light without having to be proud of it, but just the privilege of having been exposed to uh, the, the ministry we've received, the more revelation, the more truth, we are more responsible for, for more love, to be more inclusive and not exclusive. This is what Paul's referring to and what we normally use as our instructions for doing communion um, and uh, not discerning the body of Christ and to watch out from the circumstances of that. And Paul deals with this in, the, in Corinthians chapter 13. If I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge but have not love, I am nothing. I'm no revelation of God at all, no matter how many gifts I can move in and how much revelation I have. The only thing that is necessary for me to have fellowship with another Christian is the blood of Christ. That's all. That's all. But, Brother Harry, what, what, what if they have a different doctrine about something? If I'm friends with them, aren't I saying that I agree with that doctrine? You know, one of my closest pastoral friends is a United Presbyterian minister. He's born again, spirit-filled, speaks in tongues, but he baptizes babies. We don't talk about that. I don't have to try to convince him that infant baptism, dry-cleaning babies, isn't in the Bible. We can still be friends without my having to try to change his doctrine or him changing mine. 
When I was laid up in bed after, for a month with back surgery, I lost track how many times Jamie it visited me and prayed for my healing. A Southern Baptist pastor not too far from here came and prayed for my healing. I'm sure that Baptist pastor and I have a few different ideas on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We don't, I don't have to convince him about speaking in tongues for us to be friends. We're both washed by the blood of Jesus. But I said, God had to begin dealing with me. I thought that my just repenting of that wrong attitude that God dealt with me about, and I, repent, I mean, I immediately repented when God showed me that that attitude had crept into me. I thought, oh, I'm free of it now. But when you've been immersed in something for a while, you need not just to repent of it, you need to be reprogrammed. I needed to be reprogrammed. So God began putting me in situations where he had to really deal with it. We were back in the States in 79. I, I never want to go through another 1979. And we were traveling in ministry from coast to coast. We were down in Shreveport, Louisiana, visiting an old Air Force friend, Christians. And his Southern Baptist pastor stopped by. He introduced me. He said to me, why don't you speak at my church at the midweek service tomorrow night? And I thought, they're... See, I'm, I'm confessing these things so that maybe God will spare you of them. My first thought was, these people are not going to be able to appreciate the truth that I can bring. I mean, it's more of an emotional thing than, a, than an actual thought. Isn't that beautiful? I said, well, we, we have to be driving on to Plano, Texas, where I'm going to be having meetings, and it's a long drive. He said, oh, I've driven to Plano before. You'll have plenty of time. Well, will you pray about speaking at my church tomorrow night? Well, of course, you're not going to say, no, I won't pray about it. So that night, I remember my head hitting the pillow, and I thought, oh, I told my, well, Lord, you already know. Once again, the Lord spoke to me, not quite as kindly. I am the one who arranged for you to speak to this church if perhaps I can use you. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> so, well, I mean, all right. But it was more like, but you'll see. Wednesday night, we spoke, and I thought, oh, everything's just going to be cut and dried. They're going to have three hymns and the numbers up on the board, and somebody will read a prayer out of a book. I began to minister People began breaking. Makeup getting messed up on ladies' faces. At the end of the service, the pastor said, don't anyone leave here without meeting with God. Use the Sunday school rooms. Come up here in front, but don't leave here until you meet with God. We, hadn't, we didn't have many meetings like that in Pentecostal churches. Well, it went on, and finally... We were back here in the East Coast, staying here on campus, and I get a phone call from a church uh, down in uh, Newcastle, Pennsylvania, from the associate pastor, and he says, Pastor Harry, the, 
the, uh, the, the, the pastor's mother, the lady pastor, her mother's in the hospital, not sure she'll live, and, and, uh, and sister so-and-so isn't going to be able to, uh, to preach. And uh, if you leave right now, this was a Saturday, you can be here in time and, uh, and, and preach tomorrow morning and tomorrow evening. And I said, well, sure. I mean, obviously, he recognized quality when he saw it. And so I jumped in the car, and uh, of course, no cell phones to let me know of anything ahead of time. I get down there. I really wonder at some churches' administrative levels, but he said, I'm so embarrassed. I just found out that the pastor had invited an evangelist from Ohio to speak here tomorrow. But, but we'll give you the same honorarium as though you had done it all, but I want to have you teach Sunday school. And, and then you can speak in the evening service. Well, of course, I mean, that, that's just fine. And uh, so it would have been one thing if this evangelist really had something to say. Um, and so the Sunday morning service, I sat in the back pew. And, you know, I'm going to exa- exaggerate for effect. But it sort of was of this style. He read a Bible verse that he launched from and never came back to. And then it was more like, and so you see, one, two, three, four, five, six, alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. What? Where is this going? That, that's how the whole message went. I mean, if, if you could find the pure, you could probably find the fingerprints in the varnish of where I was sitting in the back pew. I was angry with God. I said, Lord, why are you wasting my time? I could have given these people something worth listening to than this nonsense. One more word from God. This is why I sent you here, to deal with that attitude. It was finally the death blow. I was cured. The Lord said, this man is being as faithful as he knows how to the little bit of light that he has. Are you being as faithful to the light I've given you? God dealt with it. I was freed. I was freed. That's why I say I wouldn't want to go through 1979 again. There were a lot of good things that happened. That wasn't one of them. It wasn't one of the most comfortable ones. What happened that year, too, as I draw toward my conclusion, is that God wasn't going to allow us to go back to Argentina. He was sending us on to Paraguay. I did not want to go to Paraguay. I wanted to go back to Argentina. But we were going to Paraguay to move into the leadership of a work that had been practically destroyed by previous leadership. I mean, really destroyed. In fact, it made me understand part of the prophetic word that came over me during my senior prophecy. I had no idea what it meant. I'm sending you to sheep that had been wounded by shepherds. I thought, what? What is that talking about? I found out what it meant. There is yet a balm in Gilead to heal the wounded. I'm sorry. 
if God hadn't dealt with me and freed me of that, we could still take the truth of the presence of God, but not with spiritual pride. And God released that in our church in Paraguay. Coming down to the finish line here, Philippians 5 through 11, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This passage is called by theologians the hymn of Philippians. In the, in the Greek, it's even written in meter as a, as, a, as a song, as a poem. I grew up in an Episcopal church, and in my teenage years, I was asked to serve in the choir. In some of those hymns, you couldn't guess where the next goat note was going. They, they didn't exactly flow. And I remember there was this one hymn that there was a, a section, I just could not get it. But there was a man in the choir who had professional vocal training. And he said, Harry, come in and stand in front of me and lean up against my chest. And scientifically, it's called sympathetic vibrations. You can hold a note open on middle C on the piano, play a middle C on a trumpet, and it'll, it'll be ringing on the piano without touching it. And when I did that, I could sing the song from the vibrations through his chest. I could, I could find the note. It was just, it was amazing. It was just automatic. But the only way we can learn the hymn of Philippians is to lean on Jesus breast, to lean against him, feel the vibration of the Holy Spirit vibrating through us, and, or we can't catch the notes in any other way. God had to do this with me in particular to prepare us for Paraguay and for these hurt Christians. John 4, with a Samaritan woman, she raises the topic of worship. Oh, you Jews say it has to be in Jerusalem. We, have, we say it's among Gerizim. He talks to her about worship. What is the next thing that happens after worship? She goes back and there's a harvest of Samaritans coming across the field, white unto harvest. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls, the day of Pentecost. Worship, the people hear them glorifying God. What is the next thing that happens? Peter stands up in 3,000. If our worship, if the presence of God doesn't lead us into taking the gospel out to the world, we, we have totally missed the point. All of us are saying we are desperate for a revival. I am so happy that you have Dr. A as your president 
I've never known anyone who drips revival more than Dr. A. And we just had him do the inauguration of our new church building a few weeks ago. Um, I hope you realize who you have in your midst as your, as your leaders. You are benefiting from the same Elam spirit of caring about the body of Christ and ministering to everyone, regardless of differences, as we did in our years. Revival is hanging in the air. We're all wanting that next great awakening. That's why I hope all of you saw the movie, uh, I Am Rochester. That's what it's about. That's why God's putting these things together. If indeed God has blessed us with extra light, it must result in extra love to everyone in the body of Christ and to the world to win them to Christ. Let us stand and let me pray with you. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. Protect us from this deception, this terrible sin of spiritual pride. I thank you that you dealt with me. Probably wouldn't take as long with someone else. But thank you that you delivered me. It made me realize that your blood is the only common denominator that any of us need to be able to be in fellowship and love relationship and a blessing to each other. Let this permeate our spirits and our thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.